0: Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie. I'm Leslie Harris, and I continue to be a gigantic sloth in terms of gardening this winter. How are you doing? Our plant of the week is the Critigus viridis, which sounds so exotic, but it's more like terrific. That's the better adjective that goes with this tree. I'll be chatting with Susan Harris of Garden Rant, who is not my sister, but she's my sister in horticulture. And after the interview, we're going to talk about what's going on in the garden this time of year. It being early February, that section will be curtailed. <laughs> There's, I don't know. I, I hope you're out there. I'm I'm just feeling so lazy. I don't know what would have happened to me this season if I had stayed at my old enormous garden or what wouldn't have happened to it because nature would have taken over and chaos. and Well, at the expense of orderly aesthetics, but to the benefit of local wildlife, I guess. So we'll just rationalize that way. I'd probably be chasing Marianne Wilburn all over Instagram, going out there every day. Well, she's going out there. I should go out there, and then she's posting, and I should post. But that is so not happening. Instead, I'm basically taking sucker punches at her for some of her posts. (laughs) Her hair. She's. She's. If you haven't seen her winter why winter garden challenge on Instagram, um, and you want to get inspired, instead of being like me, and you know, thinking about what jigsaw puzzle you might be doing next. Um, then go check that out and, and I'll try to curtail from taking sucker punches at some of her posts, which is, which is what people sitting on the sidelines, that's really the only thing they can muster the energy to do. But you'll hear in my chat with Susan Harris, who also has a tiny garden like I do now, that we are in the enviable, question mark, position of just glancing out a window saying, yep, ain't much to do out there, and then taking on some other project. In my case, It's not jigsaw puzzles anymore. That was over the holidays. It's actually putting a lot of energy into interior spaces. Our new apartment up in Greenwich, Connecticut is sort of kind of getting started, sinks and faucets and sofas to be picked out. So I'm on that. Here I am, you know, making a gardening podcast and I'm basically saying, hi, 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 everybody out there. I am not gardening, but I I will be, I will be. And I had a fabulous conversation with Linda Vodder this week. Um, she of Potiche blog, who has gotten me inspired because she's got a new journal out. That podcast will come out in a couple of weeks. And just tonight, I'm having a glass of wine virtually with my friend Erin Shannon, the Impatient Gardener, and she and I are going to talk about the Philly garden trends for 2024. So, you know, I'm revving up. I'm revving up. I'm just sort of a sloth who's revving up. Our plant of the week is something that is not on my property. I've never owned it, but it's in my new neighborhood. And I get to see it on my drive every day. And it's called the Critigus Viridis, which is, you know, a mouthful. It even has a diphthong in it, you know, one of those A-E things. So it sounds like serious Latin. But Critigus is actually the Greek word for tree. And Viridis is the Latin word for green. And if you have a strong classical language background, you're feeling really good right now because you knew that. The common name is the green hawthorn. And here's the good news about this plant. It has four season interest. It's a native. It makes a lot of birds and butterflies happy. And it has lovely spring flowers. The bad news is that it has thorns. Other good news is that there are not very many thorns. Other bad news, if you run across a thorn, it's going to get your attention because it's over an inch long. And mostly other good news, it's fairly compact, only getting to be about 30 by 30 in maturity. So let's go through these points, mostly good news, a little more slowly, and you can understand the virtues of this little green hawthorn that I think we all ought to start considering having in our garden. Critigus ferritis is native to the Southeast United States. It grows from Virginia to Florida, west to the Mississippi. It only grows in zones four through seven. That's kind of funny because, so I'm a zone 7b now, and honestly, I feel like I'm close to zone eight, and yet this tree is native all the way down to Florida. That doesn't make sense to me, but I think we'd all agree that I'm a gardener whose acuity does not encompass the finer points of science. So I'll leave it for others to figure that one out. Did I say it was a tree? You might have gotten the hints since it's like 30 by 30, but it has a nice round shape and it I don't think it grows really quickly and it would be a good addition to a small garden or any garden. It grows naturally along riverbanks, therefore we must surmise that it's tolerant of wet soil. But according to the Missouri Botanical Garden Database, it can tolerate dry soil too. So so friendly, so friendly of it. Dark green, glossy leaves, pretty white flowers in May. I mean, they're they're good. They remind me of when I looked at pictures of them because, you know, we moved in here in summer, so I haven't really seen it at that time of year, but they remind me of the Philadelphus, the uh, mock orange. They're really pretty. I can guess that its most exciting season isn't summer because it's probably going back to green leaves. But in the fall, those leaves will turn a red or a purple. And in winter, the branches are just loaded with these red berries, which are actually edible for human beings. But according to my sources, better left for birds. I guess they're a little bit tart or something. I'm also reading that they can be harvested to make a jelly, which is fun. Oh, and on a mature specimen, the bark can exfoliate to reveal an orange inner bark, which would be really lovely in a winter garden. But you know what? I googled that and I think orange is a strong word, not completely accurate. It's sort of a rusty color, but it's very attractive. Speaking of rust, hawthorns are subject to rust, but there's a cultivar called silver king that's reputed to be quite disease resistant. And this tree is fairly deer resistant also. So at this point, shouldn't we be asking ourselves, why don't we have one of these? Doesn't it sound kind of perfect? The little grove I drive by in my property is like five of them. And they're just, they're like tall, ball-shaped winter berries. They're, you know, the red is just pretty amazing. And it makes me very happy when I drive by it. So I hope I've sold you on a native. I think my takeaway on this tree, the Crotigus viridis or green hawthorn, is that it's fabulous and I think we should all give it a grow. Coming up, we're going to talk with Susan Harris about garden rant, about small gardens, and about hula hooping. Yes, you heard that right.
1: Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, and we are here with Susan Harris, somebody that I have known, but not really known. Um, for years, I only actually met you, gosh, um, oh, hasn't even been a year, right? Right. Yeah, at, at Mans in 2020, 2023. But I've known about you for so long because the very first gardening blog that I ever clapped my eyes on, or maybe it was the very first that I paid attention to because it was the very first one I liked, is Garden Rant. And Garden Rant was a compilation back in the day of four different bloggers who got together. Susan was one of them. So I want to chat with her about Garden Rant and some other cool gardening stuff um, that she is involved in. So hi, Susan. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm great. Happy
1: always to talk about Garden Rant. Oh, I mean, it's just the coolest thing. And so many people know about it, but I just feel like if we're if we can touch those last dozen who don't, it's it's (laughs) worth it. So tell us how it got started.
2: Well, back in 2005, which was kind of the heyday of, you know, brand new, this brand new medium, Garden Blogs, uh, Amy Stewart in California and Michelle Owens in New York found each other. As we were all following each other through Google Reader and we had, it was a wonderful community because there weren't tons of them uh, and we all followed and read. And so they had the idea that for a really successful blog, you needed frequent posts and neither of them wanted to do frequent posts. So they said, let's create a group, a team blog. So they recruited me um, and based on how they found me, well, they had run across this blog post that I did, a, a major rant about Jerry Baker. Do you know who he is? And quote, America's
1: master gardener. No, never heard of him. Oh. Maybe I'm lucky.
2: Yes. He used to be on uh his videos teaching people to use copious amounts of chemicals on your oh. on your <laughs> on your property. Yes, we're all over PBS. <laughs>
1: Oh no! This is not good. Oh yes. So they
2: they said, "Oh, she's she's a ranter. For, well, let's let's uh, invite her." And then a few months after we launched, we invited Elizabeth Licata in uh, Buffalo to join us, and she's been there ever since, right? Yeah. And their idea was um, to have a site that would be um, straight talk. I would say that would not not be kind of bland. Their criticism was that garden writing was bland and never criticized anything. And it was always a little too beholden to um, advertisers. Mm. So we've always had uh, the kind of relationship. We've had some ads from time to uh, in some years, but they're all like automatically done. We don't have to solicit them and we don't have to worry about pissing them off. Can I say pissing them off?
1: Yes, you can say pissing them off. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, so uh, to this day, we don't take sponsored posts and things like that. So we're very proud of our independence.
1: Yeah, that, that's so good. And the the four of you was it three or four at first? And, and name the names again. The three of us when we launched
2: was uh, Amy Stewart, Michelle
1: Owens, and myself. What's Michelle's last name?
2: Owens. Michelle is a professional speechwriter. She's written for like governors and people like that, and. And Amy was a, our most famous writer. She was, you know, well-published. She had a bunch of books. In fact, uh, I was a little intimidated. I had never done any writing except uh, a Garden Club newsletter oh. <laughs> and my own personal blog where they had found me, which was very modest in my in my reach. And uh, I wanted us to, to, for example, not archive any of our posts because I hoped that, that mine would just disappear into the internet and again, you we know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Snapchat of garden blogs,
2: <laughs> and Amy said, "No, no, you you have to have an archive." So anyway, yeah. Uh, so and so, that's kind of. I was already in my fifties and had never done any writing, and so it's been a real game changer for me. I went on to, you know, have sort of a second career writing for
1: nurseries, for garden centers, and stuff like that. So wow. And did you? What did you study in college? Are, are you a horticulturist? What was your first act? I, I lived just
2: outside D.C. and I was a court reporter for in various agencies. We had contracts all over the city, so I worked in Congress a lot. I did the the, the transcripts for Congress and for uh, courts and conventions and anything that needed a transcript.
1: So that's interesting because you're writing, but you're writing what somebody else is saying. And when we uh-huh. speak, we are not grammatically correct. So did you have to clean up your grammar for, for yeah. official writing? Yeah, you do that.
2: But it's it's certainly not creative. And uh, it paid, it used to pay very well. And I didn't have to work full time. And I would go back and forth between doing that for the many and like working at Common Cause and other nonprofits. And
1: so I, I was kind of a free spirit, you know, <laughs> <I would say, laughs> career wise. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And what was the name of your blog as you posted it before it got collected into Garden Grant?
2: Well, it was called Tacoma Gardener, Tacoma being the town in
1: Maryland that I lived in then. So, okay. Yeah. Tacoma Gardener. And somebody had one that really got my attention. I think it was Amy Stewart, Gardening okay. While Intoxicated. I no, was Elizabeth in Buffalo. That was Elizabeth Gardening While Intoxicated. Well, I just kind of thought that was fun. So, and then who's the one who wrote The Drunken Botanist? We're on a theme here. It's just my little problem.
2: <laughs> that's Amy. Amy has written, yeah, she's, that's one of her many books. Uh, yeah, she was kind of, Brought a lot of attention to it, but uh, you know, Adrian Higgins uh, wrote about us for the Washington Post, and he calls us the the feisty
1: foursome. I can believe it, but now there are far more than four of you, isn't that right?
2: Yes, now we have seven. Well, you Marion Wilburn, you know, and she has made a big difference. She joined us a couple of years ago, and she kind of. Um, instigated some changes like we got an ad agency again which means we could afford a designer a redesign and and a new logo and i mean really the first ad agency was called blog ads and after it went away we had no money so it you know it it didn't matter that the site was looking a little shabby because we couldn't afford to do anything about it so i think like two years ago i call i think of it as garden ramp 2.0 and so since then, you know, it looks better. We've cleaned up.
1: I went in and deleted two thirds of the old posts. Oh, why? What were they Like, what, what were you looking at when you made the decision to delete or not?
2: They were, they did not stand the test of time. They were like, oh, here's a new story or here's a new story. Or, you know, they were, we used to post like 10 times a week.
1: <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a lot.
2: Yeah. So a lot of them are just going to be, you know, the, the link we're sharing isn't even live anymore. And. We're just saying, oh, I'm going to be speaking in New Orleans next week or something like that. Just
1: junk. I see what you mean. Okay, so that makes sense. And so you've got Scott Burline on there, too. He does individual rants in addition to Dear Gardner, which is the correspondence between those two, Marianne and Scott, right? Right,
2: right. And we have two Brits. We have Anne Wareham and Ben Probert. And Alan Bush has been for quite a few years.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and our new Pacific Northwest blogger.
2: Loreen Forkner.
1: Lorreen Forkner. Okay. I don't think I've read any of her stuff yet. That'll be interesting.
2: She's, yeah, she's in, in Seattle. So that's us. We now cross the continent and go over and, and skip the pond over to the UK. So we feel like we, although we're not how-to, so it's not as though we have to cover every region because
1: we're really not a source for how to garden. No, you're something completely different. So, like again, those dozen um people who don't know what Garden Rant it is and haven't read uh about it um can you explain to them what what it is that you're trying to do not, not just complain you're not just being you're a calcitrant and you're 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 trying to make points right
2: well or i, I always say that I rave more than i rant I'd like to do it in in my defense <laughs> <laughs> so yes, occasionally well you know like i um, that first rave that got me onto the rant about jerry baker and all that he actually would say that recommend spraying tobacco juice over your entire property to make it clean green and mean oh yeah you know tobacco is toxic anyway that's (laughs) so but i've ranted about scott's miracle grow and I like to find really cool things, things that I think are really interesting, and then you know, research and present it. And like in the last couple of months, I'll just throw these out there. I showed off a uh, amazing cemetery in Philadelphia with the coolest green burial site imaginable. That starts as a you're on top of the the folks that are buried there, it, it becomes a wildflower um, meadow, and then it transitions to um, shrubs and then trees, and it becomes a forest for eternity. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess if it's a journalistic kind of um uh, intention on my part, um I think we definitely want to kind of push back against some some opinions we might consider, you know, off base or and try to uh, like I say straight straight talk. And we have so it's us and also our our guest ranchers we
1: call them. How do you curate that group or do, do people approach you that want to be on the on garden rant or do you approach them? Both. Yeah, I would say usually they approach us. Mm-hmm. They have uh, they have something that they really want to articulate. They want they they have a complaint.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Or sometimes they're writing a book and they would like to do a guest post and that's that's fine. You know, our our writer friends we want to give them a little exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Or like we just created a new category for the post uh called Design Talk. Oh. And yeah, I've reached out to some designers to say, "Hey, do you have any any relevant writings that you like to republish for our collection?" For example.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So you mentioned the one about the Philadelphia um, cemetery. Any other ones that are your favorites lately, or even back in years? Well, I would say the the my
2: number one topic over the years has been lawns, better lawn care, and replacements for lawns. Uh, I mean, I've over well over twenty posts on that. Wow. Um, And I started when I had a pretty big yard, pretty big lawn in my last garden. I thought, you know, I'm bored with this. I'm tired of the mowing on a hill and it would be really fun to write about. So, and then again, we're in my current garden. I've got rid of the lawn. That's, it's a very hot topic. The lawns are becoming more and more, you know, in the news and and, uh, we're encouraged to reduce them. My big shtick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is, is that not everyone can turn it into a wildflower meadow. You know, not every site is appropriate for that. And um, I think we need, people really need helpful information, like um, depending on the degree of knowledge they have, the degree of work they're, you know, maintenance they're willing to do, and how and how beautiful they want it to be. Do they want it to look colorful? And, you know, so actually something that I suggest as the, maybe the, a lot of bang for the buck, environmentally for not a lot of work is just you know create borders around your lawn that and stuff them with small
1: trees and shrubs yeah you know easy so easy and 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 if you want more flowers but you don't want to do that meadow thing which is very high maintenance then flowering shrubs I mean that's what I was getting to you saw the garden that I left this summer and it was big and it was a lot and um I was beginning to formulate plans to simplify it as as the body got older. I wasn't there yet though. To me, the easiest way to garden and still have flowers and pollination and, and good action is uh is flowering shrubs. Uh, you know, and I I guess evergreens are needed for structure in winter, but it's like easy peasy, right?
2: Well, and aside from the flowering benefits, there's structure, there's places for birds' nests and and there's biomass. I mean, I, I there's so much attention given to pollinators, uh po- plants for pollinators and perennials, let's say. But I I'm a big uh, proponent of more more trees and, and shrubs for the many environmental services <laughs> that they yeah. that they provide. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and then just that idea of rethinking your lawn, if you need a lawn, you need a lawn. Does it have to be turf grass? If you needed a lawn because the people needed, you know, kick a ball, but that was twenty years ago, and they're like off in the city or, you know, in Europe or like not with you anymore, then that's when you that that's the that's what drives me crazy. Like people who just sort of are in this rut of this is how it should be. You should have a lawn, not if nobody's walking on it.
2: But still, what are you going to replace it with? Because at least in our climate, with rain, sufficient rain, it, 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 unless you cover it, it'll be weedy, right? So. You have, have to do something. Well, and that brings up the, the need for good ground covers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I will say that my in my tiny garden now, I make great use of three of them. Two of them are for shade. One is Pacara aria.
0: Yeah,
1: that's a good one. You mentioned that to me before, and that's a native, right?
2: Yes. And then ground cover comfrey is amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. That's it's a great plant. Yeah.
2: And big bloomer in the spring. For sun, I have a ground cover uh, sedum just wonderful.
1: Have you been tracking, they're doing a lot of research up at Cornell University and I can't remember the name of the fellow who's been on a couple of um, podcasts, I think with Margaret Roach and maybe with Tom Christopher. Anyway, um, strawberries might be a thing for growing instead of turf grass, yeah?
2: Yes, I know Swarthmore is studying, has studied a lot of ground covers. Well, and since you mentioned Cornell, I recommend them for lawn care advice because they very smartly Say, okay, if you need a perfect look, you know, golf course looking lawn, do this. But most people don't. So here's how to have a low maintenance, low input uh, lawn. So I think I wish all the extension
1: services would do that kind of offer a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So lawn and then any other topics that you think are really important for for you to um, to to put out there or other people in the garden Rant community? What are some other topics that you think are important?
2: Well, since you're pulling it out of me, Leslie, (laughs) I'm researching. I'm on a on a on a tear right now to find information. I think we desperately need information about what are the plants that are absolute best for pollinators. Since there's I mean, if you're interested in pollinators, I think the most helpful information would be let's break it down. Which are the plants for specialist bees that are the most endangered? Okay. And I probably most probably all of them maybe or or most would be native.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: what are the plants that are also good for pollinators, but just not for the specialists? So all the the, the plants, the many more plants that are that support generalists, mm-hmm. that's going to include a lot of non-natives. So that's going to include, you know, catmint and herbs and annuals. So if, especially if you could have a longer season, if you included all of that. So I think with that kind of information, then everyone can make their own decision about how strict they want to be with natives or not but then even if they are strictly good na- choosing natives they're choosing the best ones
1: exactly yeah have you paid attention to Tallamy's keystone plants that's a that's a pretty good list
2: well listen my impression is that that's mainly tr- you know
1: large trees oh no he actually has a list um for perennials also and flowering shrubs the two that i think that that jump into my mind that i really missed from myself this fall so i actually went out and got a couple of asters were the aster um, the New England type aster, our native aster, and then um, goldenrod, you know solidago. So those are, and then but but that list is not long. I think maybe echinaceas on it, sometimes kinds of rudbeckia, uh, but they are keystone and uh, and of course asclepius because we need to host those monarchs and stuff. So it's yes, the white oak is the plant, but there are more, which is nice.
2: Well, and d- does keystone mean that it's that they are for specialist
1: bees? Is that what that... I do not know the answer to that. Keystone stuck in my head because it was good marketing on Tallamy's team's part. Um, I will find out.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's some information out there and I'm talking to like pollinator partnerships next week. They have good resources and they have good programs for helping homeowners, you know, provide for wildlife. Uh, well, provide for pollinators and also how cities and, and companies and other entities can, can do the, you know, can help pollinators. So, okay. yeah, I'm pursuing, that's what I'm pursuing. Well, and it comes from my own experience. I've been, uh, some of my pots, have been growing coleus for year after year and they're pretty and they do really well, but they don't attract anything. No. So I asked on Garden man, I said, Hey, what, you know, what plants for pots do you recommend? So boy, am I into lantana and verbena So I'm very excited to see what can be done even in pots and for an extremely long season. I mean, I've still got my lantana still going strong and probably will into December. Wow.
1: Depending on the first hard frost. Oh, that is so cool. And So natives and would you say that across the seven ranters that there are varying degrees of excitement about it has to be native versus not? I know Marianne actually is not convinced. Um, She and I have had discussions about it. I'm like, wait, I, I don't understand why you're telling me that all this stuff I'm reading isn't true. And I, I have a small brain, so I can't figure it out. You're going to have to explain this to me, Lucy. Um, but she might be embarking on some real research on this and possibly even think you know, think about writing about it in, um, in detail. What do you know
0: about that?
2: Well, I think if somebody can collect all the information about the virtues, the um, environmental virtues of many or most non-native plants that would be very helpful for one thing where people are expressing so much guilt about having non-native plants you know they're expressing guilt about their azaleas and their roses and and if they could see okay here i mean all plants have some environmental benefits and so if 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 the marketers for those plants could say you know here are all the benefits you know that this significant biomass or or uh you know such and such insects eat the leaves or whatever it is and then maybe they don't feel OK about having their big bridal wreath spirea and their, you know, these big, blousy flowering shrubs, as I know you're, you're a fan of flowering shrubs, too. I think they're fast growing They make such a difference in creating a real beautiful garden. And so I think with that kind of information, we can feel better about, you know, having a real garden and not have to feel to be defensive
1: about having those, you know, plants that they love. Yeah. Yeah. Another hot topic that I've seen discussed on Garden Rant is leaving the leaves. And I think if I recall, it's Elizabeth Licata who is definitely against it. I'm definitely for it. Uh, Where do you stand on it?
2: Uh, If I had a lawn, I would do right by it and I would (laughs) would chop up the leaves. So mulch mowing on lawns is a great idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you just leave them on the lawn, it can damage it. And it's certainly,
1: certainly if it's the bigger leaves. But I think she's even written about not having them in garden beds because the the her spring ephemerals wouldn't emerge to her hmm. satisfaction that they'd have too much trouble breaking through but I I don't know that I don't find that at all I find that they decompose and then here come the flowers.
2: Well as long as they're not magnolia leaves or something
1: oh yeah <laughs> cardboard
2: <laughs> Where I am now um I make sure that they're not um on the sidewalk oh yeah and I make sure that they're not on my more desert loving dry loving plants like the the um lamb's ear, and sedum. They don't like to be
1: smothered all winter long. Right, yeah, they like that dry. I do want to talk about your garden because, uh, selfishly, because you went from big to small like I did, and I think it's kind of fun to, to explore that. But before we do, how has Garden Rant changed over the years? Do you feel like the topics that are the most popular or the most attention-getting on Garden Rant have changed since it began?
2: Back in the day, we got and this, this is something that I think all bloggers probably miss is that there used to be tons of comments right there on the blog. And that was so cool. And now, you know, there's, there's not a lot on the, on blogs. Uh, some of them you find on, when you post it to Facebook, it's harder to, to, to figure out what's, what, what posts are really
1: speaking to people or pissing other people off. You know? Oh, that is an interesting change. And then um, can you tell the demographics on Garden Rant? Do, do the numbers come back and say, well, tons of people read this one? Or, like With a podcast, I can actually tell if, if you listen till the end, which is kind of interesting. I doubt that happens with you.
2: No, we know where the readers are. And I think we know
1: generally what age and gender. Okay. Are and, they, let me guess, are they a little bit older than, than <laughs> most people? <laughs> and more female. Yeah, that's what I got too. <laughs> That's wonderful though. I comment on that sometimes. And then every once in a while, I get a listener who says, no, no, wait, I'm actually kind of (laughs) young. I'm like, oh, good. Welcome. Welcome. Well, we're, we're proud to have three men in the group, you know, of the seven of us. I love it. So talking about comments on blog posts, garden media has changed a ton because I, I I feel like I call my blog, which I'm, it's sort of important that I do because I want to, you know, For instance, there will be a blog post that goes with our episode because there will be a photograph of you. There will be links to Garden Rant. It'll be sort of a, you know, just maybe something I forgot to say or blah, blah. But I call my blog the blog that no one reads because I I get no comments. Uh, And for a while I stopped and like two people said, hey, wait, actually, I kind of like that. (laughs) So I do it. But so Garden Media has certainly changed since you began doing this. What are you seeing and do you like the changes besides... The lonely blog post. I'm sure you don't like that, but are there any positives?
2: Well, I think Instagram is great. It's uh, less effort than, than actually writing a whole blog post. And do you know that when we started, they were all of the advice was, oh, it has to be short, it has to be under 500 words. And now the experts are saying that the longer posts do better. So who knew? Huh. Wow. I know I think it's interesting that well the people who don't really want to say much or have other places to go but if you do have things to say um and you like to write then blogs are the place so yeah
1: and can you I mean I feel like sometimes I, I'm sort of treating Instagram as a blog I mean as I'm throwing together this new garden that I just moved into a couple of months ago it's definitely a. I'm looking forward to looking back at it and like okay this is how it looked that day and this is how it looked this day and it's it's it is shorter, but, and a far fewer words. Um, but, but I think, I think the media is, is good. Do you, do you ever uh, fiddle around with anything else? Garden Rand is on Facebook too. Any other platforms?
2: Yeah, we're on Facebook and Instagram. We, um, I think we still have a Twitter account, but I don't post to it anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty much off Twitter completely. Oh, I also, you know, big fan of gardening videos, when it comes to how to, I want to see, you know, I'm a show me, I guess, person. And especially when it comes to things like, I mean, I've seen some people plant a plant and clearly have no idea how to do it. All they'd have to do is look at a three minute video, you know.
1: Well, how do you know what the good what the good gardening videos are? Because <laughs> there's a lot of bad stuff out there.
2: There is, there is. So, well, I kind of a resource site that I created a, a while back. It's called goodgardeningvideos.org. It's a non-profit. <laughs> So, yeah, I just I and some other people that were working with me, for example, I hired someone who knows about vegetables because I know nothing, but he selected some of the, the best uh, YouTubers for for vegetables. And I found some a lot of good ones. Yeah, there are people who put really short, bad ones out there. And uh, I think people need some. The idea is to give people some guidance. Uh, for example, but especially the need for videos is especially greatest with things like pruning. Yeah, I wish people could get more good advice about pruning, and it's really hard to do it in text. I think.
1: I think it absolutely is. Just showing is 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 very good. Does Garden Rant ever embed any videos for instruction? But that's just not the that's not what Garden Rant is. It's not about instruction. Yeah.
2: No, no. I'm, I'm thinking of doing a profile soon on. I'm sure you know her, Jess Zander. She has an Instagram account called You Can Do It Gardening. Oh, fun. And she is a coach. She's a gardening coach in the Boston area. And the videos are almost always of she's talking to a client. So she gives her phone to a client and the client records her advice. And uh, one of my second careers was coaching and ever, almost everything she says, I think, oh, that's so right on. And, oh. And she's, you know, ruthless. Ah, oh, this has to go. And. And she will demonstrate, you know, really very scary amount of of pruning that she's doing to someone's someone's uh, beloved uh, but overgrown shrub. So, um for, I think we need more more of that and Instagram and and uh, TikTok and video, or I think what it takes. And I wish there were more more coaches because, by the way, you can hire her anywhere from anywhere. She does wow. she, she does coaching online. And I bet she gets. I get. I bet her clients get in a, a very good uh, jump start on improving their yard for not a lot of, not a fortune, not a lot of money.
1: Yeah, oh, what a good idea! So you can check- do it gardening. Okay, I'll link to that in the show notes. Good people who are listening. That sounds good. So let's get. Um, I'm going to get selfish now. I want to talk about your garden. Tell us where you garden and tell us about the transition, when and how. And did you cry from a big garden to a small garden? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so I was
2: in Tacoma Park, Maryland, just outside DC for twenty six years, pretty big yard, and decided to downsize. And uh I, I wasn't sad to
1: leave. You were not sad?
2: No, not really. <laughs> uh it was hard to move into a place that had nothing as a garden. So it was a blank slate. So it was kind of depressing at first. But the beauty of a blank slate is that it's a blank slate and you can do whatever you want. And it's a fresh start. I mean, compared to the actually the burden of just maintaining the same old thing, the same old, okay. you know, yeah. So to have a, it's small. enough, my new garden is small enough that I can do anything I want in terms of being able to afford it. You know, I have a nice slate of flagstone, two flagstone patios I put in. You know, I'm like, I can afford in terms of effort and money, you can kind of go all out. And I would say the the, the negative <laughs> was my expectations. A friend of mine, I remember when I moved in, she said, Well, it'll take you about three years to, to get the garden where you like it. And I was just shocked that she would even think that it would take that long. I'm like, no, it's only going to take me a year. Well, it really took about 10.
1: Well, so that would be true for whatever size garden because you're not quite sure what's happening, right? I mean, maybe a little quicker with a smaller garden. That does ten surprises me. Why do Why do you think it took so long? Because gardens just do. Uh,
2: Well, it took me a long time to figure out how to block bad views and create privacy. I'm in a townhouse, and so. Not only am I right up uh, against my next door neighbors, but people there's a sidewalk that goes behind my back gardens, and then my front uh, view, uh, I look at a elevated parking lot.
1: Oh, oops.
2: (laughs) So it took me in terms of between my co-op rules, and just uh, I was amazed how many mistakes I made that you you wouldn't know that I had been gardening for many decades because I didn't know how to solve those problems. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so that and also. I find perennial gardens really tricky. You know, it takes the three years for so many of them to tell you whether they're doing well in that spot or not.
1: That's true. Did you cheat with annuals just sort of to fill in the gaps? That's what I intend to do. Oh, you <laughs> had it. Oh, okay. You didn't do that.
2: And now I'm still coaching. I, I coach my neighbors for free, but I always say, you know, supplement with annuals the first couple of years, to, or are you going to be not be very encouraged?
1: Yeah, no, who wants to look at mulch? Uh, that's I intend to do that. I, I once gave somebody uh, some advice, say like, I really don't really don't have time to deal with this. Oh, and then I actually did it myself on a new bed that I had created um, back on Minor Road in my big garden, Just and it was sweet potato vine.
0: <laughs> it's
1: it like, okay, we're gonna have instant bright green ground cover because yep. I don't actually know what I'm gonna put in this garden and then we'll figure it out next year. <laughs> um, and so I remember, but I don't remember exactly when you told me when you came down to visit my garden, you told me about how long it takes you to do your garden that is, oh, uh gosh, it's two weeks since I paid attention to this last let me go weed tidy blah blah blah. How long does it take you to go through to do a regular maintenance kind of thing
2: forty five minutes <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amazing
2: and i only I only uh weed in half hour chunks because i don't want to hurt my back yeah two sessions of half a half an hour each i know isn't that
1: liberating oh so liberating although i feel like i'm going to have a lot of weeds i put down um this white marble which i'm really pleased about in this path in the back and i feel like i'm going to have a lot of weeds coming up through it and i'm hopeful that i'll have a lot of weeds beginning in it because that's the fun of gravel you know when when you get um Weeds, meaning in that case, things that I wanted, you know, the things that came up in my gravel at the other house, and and, and indeed, wherever I've gardened with gravel, annual seeds, cleome, larkspur, uh, what else? Oh, verbena bonariensis, just just the ones that you you, you know, you're welcome, oh, even um, violet, you know, violas and pansies were starting to come. It's just so fun to see to see what would come. In my case, in this year, in this first spring, I think I'm gonna see uh wiregrass (laughs) because i don't think i got it all (laughs) yeah
2: i'll figure yeah that'll be a multi-year project well i will say um i haven't had quite enough space of my own here and so i have adopted a much much larger commercial landscape
1: oh tell us about that
2: yes so it is the it is the office building for my co-op my uh, my uh, historic 1600 unit co-op that i live in and uh it just looked horrible, just and nobody, you know, nobody. There was no budget, so I adopted it a few years ago, and I've it's won awards, and I'm just thrilled with it. So I I go visit it almost. It's like under a mile away, and I go visit it almost every day, and and it's just transformed. And I have a little budget because the co-op, you know, had let me buy some things, and oh, so that's been great.
1: What kind of things do you have
2: growing there? It had these extremely old junipers that were blocking the the entrance way, and so on. And I put a the comment on the question on Gardner should I should these junipers go? And almost everyone said, yes, rip them out, they're terrible. Well, instead I just uh prune them. And uh, so they're a wonderful backdrop. And then in front of them I put a bunch of um, I put some spireas and some nine bark and a bunch of, I think all native perennials except for uh I had some donated um nepida that's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. So it's
1: gorgeous and yeah it looks good all the time. Yeah, that's so <laughs> fun. And and, uh, yeah. and and you're making tons of people happy with it. You live in a very interesting town, Greenbelt, right? Greenbelt, Maryland.
2: Right. It's called a utopia, a New Deal utopia because it was a planned city during the New Deal and it was based on the European principles of garden cities. Mm where you have every, you know, everything close enough everything you need is in the center which is what we have here everything's walk- walkable but there's also a green belt around the town and we have a beautiful man-made lake and so you wouldn't expect it to be just outside the beltway and and 25 minute drive down into um the city
1: what that, do the houses um sort of indicate that it was built in the what new deal 30s are they are they all kind of classic yeah
2: 1937 and um, my house in particular is in a style that's very weird and unusual and kind of, you know, special here. It's called the International Style. And it's very plain and uh, cinder block and, you know, like almost no decoration. And it has a flat roof. It's odd. Uh, the whole place is kind of odd. <laughs> but it's <laughs> but, uh, a really great place for to retire. A lot of people my age, so much to do. And then I soon after I moved here, I... You took my garden blogging skills, and I created a blog and a website about this
1: town. Oh, cool. So what's the name of that? I'll link to it in the show notes.
2: Greenbeltonline.org.
1: Yeah, so people could have a look. Do you actually walk the walk? Do you walk to get your groceries? Do you walk to the the pharmacy, to whatever your errands are?
2: Right. Everything is within a 10-minute walk. Everything that I need, really. I mean, except my doctors, but you know, all the sports, the, the health club, the pools, the swimming, the uh, the movie theater. We have a beautiful historic movie theater, and my real my favorite hangout is called the New Deal Cafe. So that's where it's a co- it's also cooperatively owned, but um, there I we have like live music six nights a week. Jeez, and I'm usually there at my certain table and. <laughs> Dancing, I do a lot of dancing
1: there. Well, so that can segue into this thing that I actually wanted to ask you about. This is this amazing garden writer. And she's she's all about gardening, and yet there's this other thing besides liking to go to the New Deal Cafe and dance and listen to music. She will take that skill and do one more with a plastic hoop around her hips. Tell us about your hula hooping.
2: Uh, okay. Well. Just over a year ago, we had a a music festival here in our little town square and somebody had brought hula hoops. And the last time I had tried a hula hoop, I had failed at it. So I picked it up again and was really thrilled to see that I could keep it up around my waist. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And uh, it looked good, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I didn't look ridiculous doing it. So um, I would say I was obsessed with it all winter. It was a wonderful winter project to learn to hoop, but just as much to to make videos about it. So it was a really fun video challenge, you know, to be filming myself. And it was a lot of fun. With
1: the videos, did you just say, yeah, this will betray how little I know about this activity. Um, this is how you do it. Or now I can do it and I'll show you a trick. Like, are there, are there, did you make advancements in your skills?
2: Oh, yes. Well, and this was, uh, I was trying to, um, uh, to boil it all down to the beginner, like, okay, here are the 10 super easy things you can do right away. And then here's another video about waist hooping
1: oh.
2: itself, okay. which is not that easy. Oh, It's much, much easier to do things with your hands and arms.
1: Oh, okay. With,
2: yeah. Rather than what they call on body, which is anything that's on the waist or the, or the neck or
1: the shoulders or the knees is going to be a lot more difficult than just twirling it with your hand. Well, I would say that, 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 yeah, that's pretty clear. I can picture myself twirling it with my hand and I can also picture myself picking it up probably, I don't know, five or six times in my life. Just like, oh, there's a hula hoop. Let me just um, (laughs) make a fool out of myself again. And you put it around your waist and you swing your hips and then it falls to the ground and then you kind of walk away ignominiously. That's my hula hoops thing. That's what I do
2: right well but well, you need my video on the 10 easy things you can do right away
1: clearly clearly besides just walking away
2: <laughs> how it changed i'll tell you is that so we have a of course we have a street band here in greenbelt of course you do and <laughs> and they asked me to you know to perform with them <laughs> with the hula hoop and so i was working all winter on like my performance and uh I don't know, it was starting to be spring and I wanted to go outside and I thought, oh, this preparation to perform is no fun. All of a sudden, hooping was work and not fun. Oh, yes, and I haven't done it since this spring. Oh,
1: no. (laughs) Oh, so we'll catch the enthusiasm on those videos, but it was (laughs) short-lived. Well, we'll see what happens this winter. I always need a winter (laughs) budget. Okay, all right, that sounds good. All right, well, I, I feel like, you know, Winter's coming. And so maybe I should let you get off of this interview and maybe, maybe, maybe go hit your hula hoop again and see if, see if you want to. You never know. So, before I let you go, actually, do you feel like you're finished gardening for the season? Have you sort of put your beds to bed or at least let, said goodbye to them?
2: There's not enough to do out there, Leslie. I wish I had gardening to do.
1: Uh-huh.
2: There's, you know, they're done. They're done. I'm, absolutely. So yeah. And, and I just love, throughout the growing season that you can go outside every day and look at your walk around your little garden and see something different, Uh you know, and all winter long. There's really nothing. There's really
1: nothing. I I always do my pruning in the winter. I like, I like doing that. I mean, I mean, it has to be 40 degrees and no wind, but I'll I'll get out there and bundle up and just snip, 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 and kind of chop and drop. That's what I'm looking forward to doing. I'm very tempted to do it now, um, but I know that this is not the great time to, to prune. Out of all the times of the year, listeners, you probably know this, that, you know, pruning um, basically induces new growth. And you don't want a plant to say, oh, I'll start growing now that we're about to go into winter. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's really the worst time to prune it. It is,
1: it is. But January, that's, I think, I think I'll be out there snipping away.
2: I like to, uh, to coach people in pruning. And so that's something that I do offer in the winter. Oh, good my neighbors yeah I don't charge anymore I'm just doing it as a good good fellow co-op member oh that's so nice of you it's fun it's really fun to. I don't know if you've ever done an each sh- well I'm sure you did when you were with,
1: with your company but showing people how to prune is just very um gratifying I think. I, it is and I do it there's some good slides that I've pulled together it's not quite the same when I go do a speaking thing and it's jet ge- and it's general gardening and I'll just you know the the basics of you know dead diseased and um Damaged, dead disease and damaged, and then crossing branches and, and, you know, the crotch pruning and, you know, shaping, stepping back, you know, having somebody else help you if you're on a ladder and, you know, wiggling things. I, I, I love it. I just think it's really fun. And I enjoy making shapes, topiaries, lollipops, all sorts of silly things. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm, I think pruning is one of my favorite parts of gardening. It's really fun.
2: Uh-huh. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's really good.
2: Well and with again with flowering shrubs you have so much leeway versus conifers where you have almost none. Right.
1: You know that there's some new research out um it was put together with the Fine Gardening magazine but I can't remember who their source was. It might have been might have been Mount Cuba because I think it was with um, Annabelle, you know, arborescence type hydrangeas. And for me, that was always like, oh, okay. The freedom to not look at sticks all winter. We're going to take those back to four to six inches and look at other things for clients. And sometimes depending on where they were on my property, sometimes for myself, I did that. Well, it turns out that they flower much better if you take away only a third of the branches. And I can't remember whether you leave the fat ones or the thin ones, but I feel like you leave the thin ones, which is counterintuitive because with that kind of hydrangea you don't want it to flop so anyway I think I'll link to that article in the show notes of this are you tracking that at all that there's new research on this I had not heard that okay
2: I'll tell you what what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is I had a, a rant about the fact that I had bought the uh, oak leaf hydrangea called snowflake which is very po- apparently a very popular cultivar the trouble is that flowers are not at all interesting to insects so and it has no fragrance whatsoever oh Yes, so I'm in the in the market for a couple more hydrangeas, and I want to make sure that they actually are liked by pollinators. And I don't know how to find out.
1: I feel like Mount Cuba has done some work on that. I love oak leaves. Oh my gosh, what great four season plant! Talk about fun to prune, because oak leaves have that beautiful exfoliating bark in winter. If it's within view of a of a uh, window for me in winter, I'll go in and prune out all the hairy bits and make it try to look sculptural. I'm sure I'm cutting out a million flowers, but oh, well.
2: <laughs> well, I'm looking at the the honey, little honey. Oh, yeah, that lime green one. But I want to make sure that the bugs like it. I've been burned. <laughs> Apparently, if the height is different, if a cultivar's height is different, that generally doesn't affect how favorable you know, the reaction is by insects. But if, it's, if you change the flower, like in the case of snowflake, mm-hmm. that's, that's a, a red flag. That maybe it will have provide the value that that the species does,
1: because little honey I think is supposed to top out at three or four feet, but I left one behind at my old garden, and that little honey was was coming along, I think not you know definitely still a dwarf, but I think it might have gotten to five feet, so but they're great pot they they're wonderful in containers because they are so compact at first.
2: did it have insects on it?
1: Great question, I don't know. I was too busy gardening. <laughs> It's probably right. good that I got to a smaller garden. That's silly. I should know that. <laughs> well, I look forward to
2: seeing your smaller garden someday, and I hope I can show you mine someday. Oh yeah,
1: I would love that. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Enjoyed it. So fun to see you. And we'll be right back in a few minutes to talk about what to do in your garden right now, even it even though it might be the dead of winter.
0: <laughs> Hello again. I so enjoy talking with Susan. Can you believe what a wonderful thing it is that actually somebody's gone to the trouble of finding us good gardening videos so that we can not bother with the ones that are not good. And I actually did, people, a blog post for this episode. And I did link to that good garden video site that she started to the benefit of all of us. Also in our conversation, Susan and I talked about keystone plants for a moment, you know, those that are the most important to grow. And we were wondering whether some keystones could be perennials. And I thought I remembered that they were. Amazingly, I was correct. I put a link to find out which ones are good for your region in the blog post. As to Susan's question of whether keystone plants are keystone because they only host specific insects, That wasn't as clear to me, but they certainly host tons of native insects, and I think that's the designation of a keystone, as opposed to specifically hosting only specific insects. Pretty sure. What else to follow up on? Oh, uh, there are links to the Green Belt situation, her New Deal utopian town that is so cool, and, of course, Garden Rant, which you probably already read anyway, and if you don't. Let me shake a little finger at you over the podcast waves. It's a really good one. I think you would enjoy it. But the burning horticultural question is, did Susan go back to hula hooping over this winter? And the answer, listeners, is yes. And I put links to her hula hooping adventures on the podcast blog. You know, I might have hit upon a new system that's good. Normally, as I'm recording this part of the show, I imagine in my little pea brain that I will write a blog post to go along with the episode. And then I make myself do it. And I usually do it. But you know, I think you know, it's not my favorite part of this gig. But this time I wrote the blog post before recording this. And that might be the ticket because I can actually say, hey, I've linked to this and that. And, and of course, the fact that I don't love writing a blog post and that it's already done, magical, right? Well, I think we've established that I'm a lazy blogger. I'm also a no-good lazy gardener at this point, so I can't tell you what's going on in my garden because A, it's tiny and nothing's really changing at this time of year. B, it's under a layer of upturned sod used as mulch, which was an experiment. I can't wait to see if that was a good idea. And C, I'm almost done with my pruning, and I want to save some for March, and it's still early February, so... (laughs) Uh, In the category of do as I say and not as I do, you could be perusing seed catalogs, you could be sharpening and organizing your tools, you could be pruning anything that might need it. Oh, let me just interject that I checked out the You Can Do It gardening Instagram account that Susan recommended, and everything I saw, and let me just tell you that I wasted too much time looking at this lady whose name is Jess Zander. She gardens up in the Boston area. But everything I saw that she puts on Instagram was like spot on. Wow, I agree with that. So she must be brilliant. And it was clearly stated, so since I'm not serving as an inspiration to you at this point in your garden, you might want to go have a look at her. Maybe I'll get her on the podcast. My local master gardeners and native plant organizations are beginning to spew out newsletters, which helps if you're thinking like me, well, I'm sitting in this chair, but if I read about gardening, that's uh, sort of like gardening, right? And the only other bit of unsolicited advice (laughs) that I will churn out at this stage is that if you're beginning to venture out and clean up perennials or do a little pruning, don't forget that like just chopping things up and leaving them at the base of the plant that you chopped from that is probably about to erupt in green leaves in a few short weeks that will hide the bits, it's really good for your soil and it's quite easy on your back. So don't forget to experiment with the chop and drop system in places where it's not going to make you sad to look at organic debris. When you're feeling lazy, like, do you ever ask yourself, is this okay? Is, am I okay that I'm not just doing what I usually do? And my answer to myself is yes, because I know myself well enough to know that it will all get done. And before long, I'll be letting my local nurserymen get in touch with my inner wallet and sticking my hands in the dirt as it warms up for spring. So I'm going to just embrace the laziness. Oh, here's a reminder that I'm not having official sponsors for my podcast this season. So if you'd like to donate a cup of coffee, please go to lhgardens.com and click on the blog and see all the links that I actually did create, Glory B, and consider donating a cup of coffee toward the support of the podcast. And speaking of supporting the podcast, Rusty Gear, American singer and songwriter, has graciously supplied all the music for this show, which I use week in and week out, and I often forget to thank him. He continues to write great music. So have a listen, Rusty Gear on Spotify. He's he's terrific. I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because usually I'm really into my garden. Right now, I'm just into talking about my garden and yours. I'm hoping that we can all get geared up soon. It's happening, people. It's just not happening for me at this moment. I'll see you next time.